0: I was here, I crossed this ocean, I walked this path, I lived this life, but what did I leave behind? What evidence will future generations have of my existence? Empty rooms, faded photographs, dilapidated buildings, dust and bones and chiseled stones the scraps of self. The residue of life. The ripples fade and they come to nothing. A footprint, a census, a statistic, ink drying on a death certificate, filed away, and gone forever. But maybe a legacy isn't material. Maybe a person's impact can't be determined by a calculator Maybe the ripples of our time on the earth, the love we show, the faith we share, the good we do, the people we help. Maybe they go on forever. Maybe they multiply with time until a snowball becomes an avalanche, a drop becomes a flood, a spark, a fire, and a single voice a tumult roaring to the universe But I walked this path I lived this life I was here
1: good morning one church how y'all doing Uh, question for you what do you want to be remembered by how do you want to be remembered once you're gone, once you're no longer walking this earth? You know, that's a question that I'm faced a lot with being a pastor because uh, I, for some reason I, asked, I do a lot of funerals. You know, uh, being a pastor, I'm always asked to speak at funerals. And being in such a young church, most of the funerals that we do Really aren't people a part of one church, it's usually parents of people who are part of one church. And uh, because it's that way, I don't know many of these people personally, so I have to sit down with the children. I ask, Tell me about some of the stories about your mom, tell me about some of the stories about your father. And using words, they invite me into their memories. Using those words, and as the tears start to flow and through laughs, um, they tell me about crazy stories and uh, stories that defined who their mom or who their dad were to them. Um, We're starting a new series next week that this is a prequel to. All right, I've never done a prequel before, I went to go see prequels at movies. Um, but we're going to start a prequel for this series. We're going to start next year, next week, entitled One Word. And uh, I'm going to give you some uh, direction, give you some thoughts about how to be able to, so that you can be, this could be interactive and that we can do this together as a church. Um, but really the, the story uh, was birthed in me by reading this book by Randy Pausch called The Last Lecture friend of mine let me borrow it as I'm starting to read it. Um, It's really kind of a neat story because uh, Randy Pausch, he's a computer science major at Carnegie Mellon University. And at Carnegie Mellon, they have this tradition of doing something called the last lecture. It's hypothetical and it goes this way. If this was your last lecture, if this was the last words that you were going to impart to your students, what would they be? What type of wisdom would you give them? And uh, many professors have done this over the years. Uh, The invite came to Randy for him to do this. And as he's contemplating it, uh, he's kind of working through this. And on Tuesday, uh, September the 18th, 2007, he uh, gets in front of all of his peers, all of his students, and he gives something called the last lecture. And I want us to watch a little bit of this if we can. (laughs)
2: It's wonderful to be here. Um, uh, What Indira didn't tell you is that this lecture series used to be called The Last Lecture. If you had one last lecture to give before you died, what would it be? In case there's anybody who wandered in and doesn't know the backstory, my dad always taught me when there's an elephant in the room, introduce them. Uh, If you look at my CAT scans, there are approximately 10 tumors in my liver, and the doctors told me three to six months of good health left. Uh, That was a month ago, so you can do the math. Um, I have some of the best doctors in the world. Uh, So that is what it is. We can't change it, and we just have to decide how we're going to respond to that. We cannot change the cards we are dealt, just how we play the hand. Uh, If I don't seem as depressed or morose as I should be, um, sorry to disappoint you. Uh, (laughs) Uh, And I assure you, I am not in denial. It's not like I'm not aware of what's going on. My family, my three kids, my wife, we just decamped. We bought a lovely house in Chesapeake, Virginia, near Norfolk. And we're doing that because that's a better place for the family to be down the road. Uh, And the other thing is I am in phenomenally good health right now. I mean, it's the greatest thing of cognitive dissonance you will ever see is the fact that I am in really good shape. In fact, I'm in better shape than most of you. So, anybody who wants to cry or pitter me can come down and do a few of those, and then you may pity me. (laughs) All right, so what are we not talking about today? We're not talking about cancer, because I spent a lot of time talking about that, and I'm really not interested. If you have any herbal supplements or remedies, please stay away from me. Uh, And we're not going to talk about things that are even more important than achieving your childhood dreams. We're not going to talk about my wife, we're not talking about my kids, because I'm good, but I'm not good enough to talk about that without tearing up. So, we're just going to take that off the table. That's much more important. And we're not going to talk about spirituality and religion. Um...
1: As he's going through uh, this lecture that's about an hour and 14 minutes long, uh, he goes through and he starts talking about uh, living Your Childhood Dreams. And uh, I've read the book. I've watched the lecture. I've, I've even read the transcript of a lecture. He ended up doing a an abbreviated version in Oprah that I also have seen as well. And, and it got me thinking because I think many of us, we all want to be remembered well once we die. In fact, let's just take a quick poll. How many of you, once you're dead, would like to be remembered and positive feelings. Let me see your hands. Okay, now keep them up. Keep, everybody look around. Everybody has their hands up. All right, you can put them down. Um, one of the quotes he says in here, he says, and I love this quote. He says, um, I know how the movie is going to end. I can't control the cards I'm dealt. I'm just just how I play the hand. And let me just... Pull back the curtains of Oz just a little bit and let me explain to you and to me how our movie is going to end. How um, the biography of our life is going to end. It's going to end in one of two ways. We are going to die, Uh, a preacher is going to gather around us at a funeral and is going to tell the truth, and a bunch of people are going to cry and they're going to be really missing you, or you're going to die. A pastor is going to gather around you is going to tell lies about you and everybody's going to be glad that you have moved on. But those are our options. You see the continuity between both of those, don't you? You're dead. All right. There's only one way of getting out of this. It's amazing that our life is going to end one way and we are going to die. Now you're going, wow, Chris, you're just really... You're really morose. And uh, I might be, in like a month and a half, I'm going to turn 39. And that just sounds really old. Um, For some of you who are older than me, I'm not insulting you, I'm insulting me. Um, In fact, I have a friend who's here who's (laughs) turned 40, but I'm not going to point that out. Anyway, in fact, uh, Ryan, uh, our family pastor, as we're talking through my age, he says, I said, you know, I'm I'm really close to 40. He says, when you turn 40, I'm really going to give you a hard time. You know that. I says you do know that you will be looking for another job. You do know that, um, but you know all of us. W- you know we have that we have that 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 clock just ticking, 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 and we all want to be remembered well. But if we want to be remembered in a certain way after you die and after I die, then we have to start taking some practical steps now. In fact, we need to start taking some smaller steps, not years from now. But now. You know, because many times we think this way. If I'm going to have a positive impact and influence once I leave this earth, that I'm going to start someday. No, you have to start today. And our big idea, where I want us to land, is this. Let's start living today how we want to be remembered tomorrow. Let's start living today how we want to be remembered tomorrow because this is our, this is what trips us up we think okay we're gonna die someday and we don't know when that is so we think you know i got plenty of times with the kids i got plenty of times with my friends i got plenty of times to get serious about the whole spirituality thing i've got tons of time and the thing is that may be a true statement, but that may not be. So I just want us for the next four weeks of this series, I want us just to make an assumption. Can we assume something? Now, you got to be careful assuming things because I do know what that spells. All right, But let's all assume that 2010 will be our last year here. Let's assume that we don't have 50 more years or that we don't have five more years or we don't have 18 more years, but we only have next year. And what I want us to process through in this prequel and through this series is if 2010 is our last year and we want to be remembered a certain way, then we have to start living today how we want to be remembered tomorrow. That is how it plays out because we think we've got plenty of time. But if we want to be remembered a certain way years from now, then we have to start building up those days of how we want to be remembered so that we will be remembered that way, so that we will be leaving a legacy. If you would, if you have your Bibles, turn to First Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2, and what we're going to do this morning, I'm preaching through a portion of the Bible that I've never preached through before. So just bear with me and hang on for a little bit. We're going to be looking in 1 Kings chapter 2 at a dad who is dying, given his last words, his last lecture, if you will, to his son. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, we see... A king, a very godly king by the name of David. And what David is doing is he is giving his last lecture, his last words to his son who is named Solomon. Now let me tell you a little bit about David and how this came to be. The the Israelites, the people, picked a king. His name was King Saul. He looked the part, but he was awful, stunk, All right, so he left and God says, okay, I'm going to pick the king this time. Let me pick somebody. His name is David. And everybody's going, who? Because this dude didn't have anything going for him. He was a kid at the time. He was short. He was kind of, the Bible only describes him as kind of a ruddy or red faced. Uh, He was a shepherd boy, but God says, no, this is a man after my own heart. Now, David was a man after God's own heart, but that doesn't mean he was perfect. Because he had some bummers. He had a problem with lust. He, had a, he committed adultery. And in fact, once he committed adultery and he got this woman pregnant, um, this woman was still married. So he says, okay, I'm going to try to fix it my way. He ends up getting this dude, her hus- this husband of this person he committed adultery with, killed. So he's killed somebody, he has a problem with lust, he's committed adultery, he's lied, he's done all of this stuff, so he had his hang-ups. He was a godly leader, though. He was a godly leader to his nation, but many times failed leading his own family. But yet, he was a man after God's own heart. In fact, all the kings following David for hundreds of years were compared to David, They compared and said, this person was like David in this area, but not like David in this area. Just read the books. It's really, really cool. All right? So he is compared. He's a man after God's own heart. All right? Now, this is what he says in verse 1. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. This is what he says. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. David knew his time was coming to an end, so here's what he tells his own son Solomon. Take courage and be a man. I don't know about you guys, but I've kind of heard that little lecture all of my life. In fact, if you had a dad who was kind of around, you probably had that same type of lecture as well and uh, I remember my dad when we would drive to uh, school or we would hang out and he's an auctioneer and we would go do these auctions I went, I'd be sitting in the cab of his truck and he'd, you know, he'd just give me impart to me this fatherly wisdom and uh, I kind of see it this is exactly how David and Solomon were in fact take courage be a man I mean this is the type of talk that a dad would give his son after his clock had just been cleaned on the football field you know pick up Chin up, son, man up, adjust your cup, and get in there. Be a man. Or um, <laughs> the, the way if, if, a, if a son struck out on the ninth inning and lost the game. I can see a father putting his arm around his son and saying, Chin up, take courage, and be a man. All right? So from there. This is what he says, verse 3. Take courage and be a man. And then he describes how we can take courage and how he can be a man. Look at this. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all of his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be, what's that next word? Successful in all you do and wherever you go. And David said, you want to be a success? You want to be a winner in life? If you want to be victorious in all that you do, if you want to thrive, if you want to flourish, then here's what you need to do. You need to keep God's word. And he gives six different synonyms for God's word. Look at it. Requirements, ways, decrees, commands, regulations, and laws. All those six things are pointing to one thing, and that is this book. This book right here. He's saying, listen, if you want to be blessable, if you want to be blessable, and if you want God to be able to bless you, then here's what you need to do is you need to obey this. And what happens? Verse 4, if you obey. If you do this. Everybody say the word if. If you do this. Then the Lord will keep his promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all of their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. This if, then, in the English language, is called a conditional clause. The reason why it's called a conditional clause is because it's conditional. Thanks for coming. All right, let's pray. No, really what he's saying is this. There is a cause and effect here that if you do this, then God will do this. And David, lying on his deathbed, is telling his son Solomon, your tomorrows will be determined by your todays. He's saying, if you want your legacy to be positive, then your legacy starts today. Because the big idea, start living today how we want to be remembered tomorrow. Tomorrow. Then David starts in these verses, he starts telling them how he should treat other people. In verse 5, he says, hey, I've had a problem in my administration. You need to take care of it. In verse 7, he says, hey, these Barzillia brothers, you need to treat them with kindness. In verses uh, 8 and 9, he says, there's this dude named Shammai. He's a problem. You need to take care of him. And then in verse 10, he says, then David died. And was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of, his, of David his father. And he look at this, kingdom was firmly established. Now here's a quick question for you. Why was his kingdom firmly established? Was it anything that Solomon had done up to this point? The answer is nada. No, it is not. The reason why his kingdom is firmly established is because of David. But the only thing Solomon has done is he has been fortunate enough to have a dad. A dad who was there who influenced him and set him up for success. I mean, Solomon is already on third base. He's already on third base and he's waiting to come home. I mean, David was the reason why Solomon's kingdom was firmly established. And let me say... Guys, you have the power, the influence, the potential to to influence your kids and to set them up for a legacy today. Today, you have that power. So what are you going to do? Are you going to start living today how you want to be remembered tomorrow? Are you going to say, you know what? I got stuff to do today. I got to go to the office I've got to do this, and I'm busy. This, We have to start living today how we want to be remembered tomorrow. Now, so that's it, right? End of story. And Solomon lived happily ever after. Well, let's look at how Solomon lived. Chapter 3, verse 1. Up to this point, Solomon hadn't done nothing. But now, the ball is in Solomon's court. His kingdom is firmly established. And it's either going to stay established or it's going to decay. And let's see what happens. Verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city. Solomon loved the Lord and followed the decrees of his father, David, except that Solomon, too, offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places of worship. Now, very first thing that Solomon does is he marries the daughter of Pharaoh of Egypt. He chooses to marry a a woman who does not share his own values. He chooses to marry marry a woman who doesn't even worship his own God. But in a political sense, this is very shrewd because Egypt was a powerhouse at the time. So he's going, okay, I'm going to make some alliances here because blood is thicker than water, right? So Egypt's not going to destroy us it's a very politically shrewd decision but it is a is it a very spiritually shrewd decision hmm let's look at that a little bit later all right let's keep on going verse three except that solomon too also offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places of worship now it says that solomon loved the lord but he married this woman who didn't share his own values or worship his own God, and it says he worshiped these high places. Now, what in the world is all that about? Well, you got to remember, before Israel came into this, into this land, there were other nations, other pagan cultures who were living there, and their belief was, if we want to be close to God, then we need to get to as high as we can. And in these Canaanite pagan rituals, they would go to these high places and they think, their thoughts is, as high as I, I'm going to get as high as I can so that my prayers will be answered by all of these many gods that we pray to. And in Israel, many of the Israelites chose to do these same things. They believed these same false principles. And they choose many times to worship all of these multiple gods. But it says, Solomon worshipped God, he just decided to do what everybody else was doing because that's what everybody else did. Now, there's a problem here because in Leviticus chapter 17, it says only worship the God, not on the high places, but at the tabernacle. But Solomon didn't follow that because everybody else was doing it. It's no big deal, right? We're going to get there in a little bit, how he ends, all right? Verse 5, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, what do you want, Solomon? Ask and I will give it to you. Now, this is the question I am wanting you to ask yourself right now. What do you want from 2010? What do you want to be remembered by? If God was here today and he asked you, Jim, Joe, Philip, what do you want to be remembered by? How do you want, what do you want your legacy to be? This is the question that God is asking Solomon. What do you want to be known for? What one word do you want to be known for? Verse 6. Solomon replied, You have showed faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord your God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. So, verse 9. So give me... The, what is that next word? We all need, this is an all skate morning. We all need to say this. So give me the? Give me the wisdom I need to rule your people with justice and to know the difference between good and evil. Otherwise, how am I going to be able to rule this great people of yours? The one word that Solomon asked for was what? Wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is seeing life the way God sees life so that we can do what God says do. Wisdom is seeing life the way God sees life so that we will do what God wants us to do. That's wisdom. And that is what Solomon asked for. How did God respond? Verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom, so God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or death of your enemies, I'm going to give you what you asked for. I'm going to give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has has, have or has ever had. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. So God gives Solomon his one word, which is wisdom. But he also gives Solomon other things, riches, long life, death to his enemies. And look at this. And if, what do we we call that? A conditional clause, that's exactly right. And if you follow me, and if you obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. He's saying, listen, you asked for wisdom, you made a wise choice, I'm gonna give you your one word. But if. And he ends with a conditional clause. Now, again, what if God was here today and asked you and I that same question? What if God showed up today and asked you, hey, give me one word? What one word do you want to be known by? In fact, let's just break, because that's just way too high in the sky. Let's break it down for 2010, for 365 days. What one word do you want to be known by? What one word do you want to be your focus? So I want us to do that. I have already picked a one word. In fact, not only have I picked a one word for me, as I've been praying and as our, our staff has been praying, we've actually come up with the direction of the one word we want God to embrace and to, to push through one church in. Y'all want to know what that one word is? You're going to have to wait till next Sunday. All right. And, 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 but I, what I want to do for the rest of our time today, as brief as it is, is I want to give you some practical steps so that you can come up with one word. Now, let me tell you what our tendency is to do. We don't come up with one word. In fact, at the new year, we come up with a list of words. We call them what? Resolutions. How many of y'all have ever actually done a resolution? How many of y'all, if any resolutions you've done, you've ever broken them? Let me see your hands. Okay, that is everybody. Those who didn't raise your hand, you need to confess. All right. Because everybody has made promises to themselves, right? And not following through on them. I mean, think about it. Our resolutions, this is kind of what they sound like. They kind of sound, we make a big list. And we define our next year by things that we need to start doing, or things that we need to stop doing, and we make ourselves promises. G- give you some. I need to stop spending all my time at work. I need to stop um, overeating. I need to stop uh, not exercising and being a couch potato. I, I need to. Um, I need to stop smoking. I need to stop drinking. And by the way, if you just came in, you're going, man, your pastor's really jacked up. (laughs) These are hypothetical, all right? Um, uh, I I need to stop doing a lot of... I need to stop a bunch of bad habits. Now, then it, it, it goes from there to I need to start. I need to start eating healthy. I need to start exercising. I need to start spending more time away from the office and more time with my children. I need to start making my wife a priority or my husband a priority. I need to start seeing life with the glass half full and not half empty. And we call these New Year's resolutions. And New Year's resolutions tend to focus on a bad habit. I need to stop doing this, and I need to start doing that. And we usually define our New Year's resolutions by what happened last year. Well, that last year was just messed up, and I started doing this, and I gained 15 pounds, so I'm going to start. And we make ourselves promises... That we very rarely ever follow through on. And then life gets busy. And at the end of 2000 whatever. We're scratching our head. And we're going wow. I really didn't change a bit. Except things are sagging even more. (laughs) Now that's how many of us operate. We make ourselves promises. But we really don't see any change or growth. So let's just do something crazy. Let's stop doing what we've always done that's got us the results that we've always gotten. And let's ditch the list. Let's pick uno word. One word. I've been watching Door the Explorer. Uh, uh, One word. One word that will define your year not i need to one let's narrow the focus so much so that we're just not a shotgun blast but we're a rifle shot to this one thing so i'm going to ask you to pick your one word i'm going to give you four steps how to do that pick your own word now the first one is this what kind of person do you want to become in 2010 What kind of person do you want to become in 2010? Now, one word is not just looking at your past. It's looking at the future. It's asking the what if question. It's asking, it's a vision question. What do you want to become in 2010? This is important because we have 12 months ahead of ourselves. And you're going to be somebody at the end of that 12 months. That's really deep, isn't it? You're going to be somebody at the end of that 12 months. The question is, is who do you hope to be? It's painting a target. Now, here's what most of us do. Some of you don't even do resolutions anymore. All right? You just go, eh. All right? And then at the end of the year, you start painting the target. Look what I did. I made a bullseye. All right? Because, you... no. I mean, this is painting the target and it's one target really big and getting laser focused. What type of person do you hope to become in 2010? And that's more than just changing a bad habit. That's asking the question, what has God called me to be? Who has God called me to be? That's huge. Not just, I just want to stop doing blank or I want to start doing blank. I want you to choose one word. That leads us to the second one. Number two, focus on the future, not on your past. Focus on the future, not on your past. So many people's focus for next year is this. Well, I don't want to do what I did last year. Really? That's it? I mean, God is giving you 365 days. And your whole goal is, huh, I don't want to do what I did last year. Really? <laughs> No, this is not focusing on the past. This is focusing on the future. Alan Kay, a computer scientist, said it like this. The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Now, some of you, I've heard this quote as well. The key to your future is the best indication of what you're going to do in the future is what you've done in the past. And that is true also. Unless you pick a one word and you start making those changes. Because if you want your tomorrows to look differently, then you have to start doing things differently and seeing things differently and acting differently today. I love how Paul, who wrote Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, says this. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved all of these things or that I've already reached, and then here's his word. What's his word? <laughs> that's a word right there, boy. If you're going to pick a word, that's a word, perfection. Good luck on that one, Paul. He says, but I ain't, I'm, that's my word, but I haven't attained it yet. He says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. So Paul's word is what? Perfection. Perfect. I and mean, I mean, he is aiming his sights really high. Now look at this, verse 13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. What's it? Perfection. Thank you very much. All right. I have not achieved perfection, but I focus on... Uno thing. One thing. I focus on one thing. I focus on, I just can't believe what I did last week. Can you believe what I did last week? I focus, but my big focus is, did you just, my last year was just awful. Is that what it says? I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul says, you know what? I've got a past. Paul is what you would call In his past, a mass murderer. He was a terrorist. He killed people for fun. And those people were Christians. He was passionate about it too. He says, you know what? I'm not going to dwell on my past. What I am going to do, I'm going to look forward to what is ahead. I'm going to keep on reading here. I'm going to look forward to what is ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is. And what is that next word? Calling. Paul isn't focusing on his past. He's saying, no, what has God called me to do? Now, that's what I'm asking you. What has God called you to do? What does your 2010, what's the one thing that you want to become? Now, and then three, what I want you to do is I want you to sit down. I just want you to write some words. I want you to write a big old long list. Big old long list. You ask the question, God, what have you made me for? God, why have you made me? And if you answered number one, what kind of person you want to become, I just want you to get a mental picture of what that person looks like. And I want you to write down some words. In fact, I've written down a bunch of words. You might, And just give you some idea to get your creative juices flowing. Here's some of the words I've written down. Integrity, character, passion, influence, listen, shine, accurate, perfect. That was Paul's. Quietness. Some of you, that's your word. You just need quietness. Some of you, your mothers are preschoolers. You're praying for that, right? Quietness, diligent, delight. Some of you need balance. Some of you need reflection or whole, commitment, trust, challenge, decide. These are all words that you may want to write down that may need. Now, here's it you need to write down a big list of them. And then you know what you need to do with that list? You need to cut that list in half, okay? If you've got 40, You cut it down to 20 and you start taking stuff out. And then after you get your list of 20, you cut it down again in half and you get 10. And you say, okay, these were good, but no, these 10, that's what I want my 2010 to be. But here's what you need to do. You need to resist the urge of keeping the list because the list is too broad. It's too too broad. All right, here's what, you need to get laser focused. You need to narrow the focus here and you need to say, no, okay, I got 10. I need to break it down in half. I need five. And then in five, you break it down again and that's two and a half, which just doesn't work. But you know where I'm going here. And you narrow that down to one word. So, after you do that, here's what I'm asking you to do. You can go on our website. And there is a, I I, I don't know exactly where it's on our website. I'll give you that details next week, but I know it's on our website. You can go to our blog and you can actually input, hey, this is my name. This is the word. And here's the reason why I'm choosing this word. And I want all of us to do this. Even if you're here, you're visiting family, you may live in Alaska or Hawaii and you're not regularly here, I want you to do this because this is going to narrow your focus. Now, as we close, let me tell you why this is going to just absolutely be awesome for you. Is this is going to narrow the focus so much for you that this will be able to give you direction of what you need to say yes to to 2010. You see, if your word is quietness, then that gives you direction of what you need to say yes to. And what you need to say no to. And some of you, y'all have problems saying no. I know what you're feeling. I'm that same type of person. But you know, you, you say, you know what? That's not my goal for this year. And what you do is you narrow the focus in such a way that you start ordering your life around the type of person God wants you to become for next year. And that is next week. You see where I'm going here? How many of y'all are going to do this with me? Thank you, three of you. All right, don't make me come out there. I want us all to do this. And then I want you every week... That's 52 weeks of the year. I want you to every week say, okay, this was my one word. Did I accomplish it? Did I calendar around that one word? Did I achieve that one word this week? And if whatever that one word is, you're going to be able to, at the end of 2010, you're going to be able to see some spiritual growth toward what God wants you to become. And this is going to be a journey together as we all narrow the focus, ditch the list, and get focusing that lens into one word. Whatever happened to Solomon? You know, Solomon had a great dad, a great influence in his life. His kingdom was firmly established. What happened? Well, the very first thing is he married a woman who did not have the same value system as he did, did not worship the same gods. And we find out later in life, not only did he marry that one lady who didn't share his own values. He married 299 more women who didn't share his own values. Guys, you all having a problem with one woman? Don't answer that. (laughs) You know, and you know what happened to Solomon? The one word that he was so laser-focused on started drifting away. You know, he had that tendency of... of he, He built a great temple to God in Jerusalem, beautiful temple. But his focus of worshiping on the high places, he allowed everybody else, what the crowd was doing, to influencing what he was doing at the end of his life. He got so far removed from God that when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he says a life without God is meaningless. What about Randy Pouch? Well, this is the very uh, 59 seconds, last 59 seconds of his last lecture. I want you to look at it.
2: You can't get there alone. People have to help you, and I do believe in karma. I believe in paybacks. And be prepared. Luck is truly where preparation meets opportunity. So today's talk was about my childhood dreams, enabling the dreams of others, and some lessons learned. But did you figure out the head fake? It's not about how to achieve your dreams. It's about how to lead your life. If you lead your life the right way, the karma will take care of itself. The dreams will come to you. Have you figured out the second head fake? (laughs) Talk's not for you. It's for my kids. Thank you all. Good night.
1: You know, as I watched his last lecture and I read the book, The Last Lecture, I can be honest with you. The more I, I... And my wife and I, we actually read this together... We were talking a couple days ago. The more I read, the more depressed I got, the more hopeless I got. Without sounding um, heartless when I say this, um, to all indication, it doesn't seem that Randy was a Christ follower. In fact, you heard his quote at the very end. He says, you know, by living right, the karma will come back to you. On July the 25th, 2008, Randy passed away. And again, without sounding heartless, Randy is in one or two places. Because there is no third place. There is no door number three. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are at home with the Lord. In fact, some of you, uh, your parents have passed away this past year. And you know that they are home with the Lord. But hear me on this one. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not home with the Lord. The Bible says you are for eternity in hell. Now, I don't know about Randy. But I do want to say today very clearly... That it's not about karma. It is about Christ. It is about Jesus. And if you trust in him, you don't have to worry about karma. You won't have to worry about any of this other weird stuff. If you trust in Jesus Christ, he will not disown you. He will not let you down. He is always there for you. But in order for that to happen, you have to, you have to realize that you can't do it on your own. You have to realize that the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ, that I am the way, he says, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you do not know him, I would encourage you to come see me, come see some of our staff. We have lanyards on afterwards and we can be able to answer that question for you and we can pray and work that out. My encouragement to you is what does 2010 look like? What if 2010 is your last year? If it is, and if you want to be remembered a certain way, then start living today what you want to be remembered for tomorrow. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much, God, that, Lord, uh, many times we have these heart checks, and we get we go into the doctor and we get these checkups. And, Lord, that has been my prayer for the past weeks, even months for today and for this series, that we would be able to stop the busyness of all the junk and of all the stuff in our lives, and we would be able to get laser-focused on who you want us to become. That you call us to become someone. That you are calling us to become someone and something, and we need to start doing that today. Not someday, but today. Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would as we're working through this one word process together, that we would be laser focused on you. Not just on our past, but on who you want us to become. For it's in Jesus' great big name that we pray. Amen.